my uh, my pastor and and his dad would remark uh, very often the midweek meeting. You know, it's not the most well attended, <laughs> but it's an encouragement to me personally to see you all here. I know that, and I trust that the reason why you're here is because the Lord's put a desire in your heart to hear the gospel, um, your gospel, <laughs> my gospel, the gospel of our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. Now, if you would, please open your Bibles with me to the book of the Romans. We're picking up there this evening where we left off last week there in Romans chapter 14 and verse 5. Paul, again writing to believers, says, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind, being fully convinced in his own mind. Now again, we come back to our study to behold what the Lord had given to the Apostle Paul, how that believers ought to live together with one accord, living together in harmony. Now that's a blessed thing. To live in harmony and peace. Whether it's in the family or whether it's on the job, but especially in the congregation of believers, especially in the assembly of believers. To live with one accord, with one mind, one goal, one object. Living in harmony rather than sitting in judgment of each other. You know, with a critical heart, with a critical spirit. Beloved, we are to make allowances for those who are weak, for those who have certain convictions. We are to make allowances for the weaknesses that invariably are in in every one of us. You see, we all have weaknesses and faults, and we should just call them what they really are, sin. You see, we're all sinful people. And so we pray how that love would cover our multitude of sins. Indeed, we should make allowances for the weaknesses in each other and to love one another and to forgive one another, even as our Heavenly Father, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. And in Romans chapter 14, you flip the page over there in verse 19, we read, Let us therefore follow the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. You see, beloved, we're not to criticize one another, but rather we are to edify one another. And we're going to see in chapter 15 there in verse 1 how that we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. And so the apostle tells us in Hebrews, um, Beloved, let us consider one another. And provoke one another unto love and to good works. And so coming back to our study here this evening, uh, verse 5, again the Apostle writes, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Now remember, in the early days of the church, those Jews had a lot of religious baggage having been brought out of that bondage of the law 
But sadly, many of them had much difficulty leaving off those certain feast days that were under the law, such as the Feast of the Passover, such as the Day of Atonement, and the feast that surrounded the Day of Atonement, and then the keeping of the Sabbath day. You see, many of those which Paul called Judaizers, who professed to believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they would take believers who were Gentiles and try to put them back under the bondage of the law. And the book of Galatians deals uh, a lot with that. Remember those Judaizers that we read about in Acts chapter 15? They said this to Gentile believers. They said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, well, then you really can't be saved. And so that's what those Jewish people were doing to Gentile believers. And we read about that, how there was a large debate and discussion among those things, about those things. And then finally, Peter cleared up the air and he stood up and said, now listen, we shall be saved by the grace of God. We believe to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we, Jews, shall be saved exactly the same way as the Gentiles. And that's by the grace of God alone. And beloved, if we're not careful, if you and I aren't careful, if we don't stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, we'll be caught up in the same thing of keeping this day and that day. And even many of those old writers, they seem, it seems like they treat the Sunday like a Sabbath day. You know, they wouldn't do this or they wouldn't do that on the Lord's Day, as they would call it. But you know, beloved, every day is the Lord's Day. You know, and uh, that, that's still prevalent in some religious circles today. Um, in some religious circles of our day, they have what they call a Christian Sabbath. I mean, even Chick-fil-A treats Sunday like a Sabbath day of rest, and so they observe what they call the Christian Sabbath. And in some parts of this country, they even shut down the whole town. So if you live there, you better go get your groceries on Saturday because Sunday you won't find a grocery store that's open. And some people do that today. You know, they won't take a Sunday paper. Uh, they won't do certain things on Sunday. And it's because they have a certain conviction about it. Well, here's the thing. While others being fully taught of the Lord know that Christ was the fulfillment of those things, how that there was no need to observe these certain days and feast days any longer. You remember our Lord said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law, to satisfy the law, to fulfill the law of God. He said, the Lord Jesus Christ, He is our Passover. He is sacrificed for us. And we celebrate every day as the Lord's day. This is the day which the Lord hath made, we shall rejoice and be glad in it. And beloved, that's every day. Now, we do set aside Sunday, the first day of the week, as the early church did for the preaching of the gospel and the assembling of the saints together. But we don't observe that day to be a holy day. Now, if we do, we're in big trouble. I mean, if we think that we're more righteous or more sanctified because we keep a certain day, we're in big trouble. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, 
lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. That's in Galatians chapter 4. You see, beloved, Christ is our Passover. He is sacrificed for us. He has set us free from the bondage of the law. And He's redeemed us from the curse of that law. And so if you're going to pick this day and that day, a Sabbath day or a feast day, I mean, if you're going to go back to the law in any form or fashion for sanctification or holiness unto God, you've got to keep the whole law of God. I think of that scripture there where Paul is instructing the believers in Galatia who had such a problem with those Judaizers. And he finally says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. If righteousness is by the law, if righteousness is by the law, then Christ died in vain. You see, there would have been no need for him to die if righteousness is by the law. If we can get it done by observing the law, then he would not have had to come into the world and give his life a ransom. That's, that's what Paul is setting forth there. And you know, so, so many people today are caught up in this very thing. They make the fatal mistake of thinking that their morality is righteousness before God. And that's what happens when you put people under the law. But you see, Christ is our Passover. And so we don't observe a day of atonement, for Christ is our atonement. And then some of you may remember from our study in Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Just flip over to the left there and in verse 4. The apostle writes, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You see, our eating or drinking or our observance of days make up absolutely no part, absolutely no part of our salvation whatsoever. You see, beloved, the perfect righteousness that we have before God is not a righteousness that you have gone about to establish yourself. And, beloved, you, you already know that, being taught of God. You, you understand that, do you not? Having been taught of the Lord, we're not going about to establish a righteousness by our doing. Rather, the righteousness that we enjoy in Christ is blessed is that man to whom the Lord would impute righteousness without works. And he mentions that in Romans chapter 4, verse 6. And then, and then earlier he tells us in chapter 3, he writes, By the deeds of the law there shall no flesh, no one by the law shall be justified in his sight. So what does that mean? That simply means it shuts us up to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. All of our salvation is of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of our justification, all of our sanctification, indeed all of our salvation is of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 2, when writing to those people in a way of trying to help them, he says, you touch not and taste not and you handle not, and therefore you think that you're better than somebody else. We call that the religion of not. Not this, not that. The religion of not. And sadly, a lot of people are caught up in the religion of not. Again, verse 5, Romans 14, verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another, 
another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Again, Paul is speaking here to believers who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so let every man be persuaded in his own mind. Let every man be convicted and taught of the Lord in his own heart and his own mind. You see, my friend, when the Lord persuades us and teaches us, then we will have assurance, blessed assurance, that our salvation rests upon Christ alone. Now, I can declare that to you, and I can preach that to you, but I cannot convict you of it or persuade you of it in your heart. I might be able to convince your intellect of it, but the Lord's going to have to open your heart to receive it. I can't do that, but the Lord can. The Lord can do that. Indeed, all those who have heard and learned of the Father, they come to and they keep coming to the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Now look at verse 6. Romans 14, verse 6. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. For he giveth thanks, and he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth thanks. Now what's key here in this expression? This is repeated. He giveth thanks unto the Lord. And Paul makes mention of it two times. You see, beloved, we give thanks unto the Lord, whether we regard the day or not, whether we eat meat or not. We are the Lord's people saved by His grace and chosen and blessed in Him. And so we should always encourage one another to give thanks unto the Lord. Remember 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? Beloved, in everything give thanks. Everything. <laughs> not, not some things. Uh, that's, that's really hard for the flesh to do sometimes, is it not? <laughs> but I'm so thankful for this exhortation. Beloved, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And so in everything give thanks for that blessed fact that our salvation is totally of the Lord. It's not in eating and drinking or observing certain days. The Apostle writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of our God. You see, beloved, the only ground and standard of our salvation is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and our union with Him. By God-given faith, not works, not observing a day, not eating or drinking certain things, not by leaving off eating or drinking certain things. For you see, the only ground, the only basis... The only reason, the only standard for our salvation is resting in Christ alone. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and we are complete in Him. You see, meats, drinks, and days have absolutely nothing to do with the accomplishment of our salvation. Nothing whatsoever. 
It is only by our union with him, by God-given faith, as Luke writes there in Acts, this is Acts chapter 13, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, and here in Acts, let's turn there, Acts chapter 13. Now, Luke is giving an account here in verse 38. And this is the Apostle Paul preaching. And Luke records his message there. Uh, And this is Paul preaching. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things. (laughs) All things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. You see, beloved, we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, and we are given that precious gift of faith that unites our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, my friend, we're not to set up ourselves as a standard of judging. We're not to do that. You know, like who's finally saved or who's finally lost? We're not to do that. I mean, if you were to look at any given moment, say, at the life of King David, though he was a saved man, would you say he was a saved man if you were looking at a moment in his life? Now, in in retrospect, we would. But what about when he committed adultery and then he killed Bathsheba's husband? I mean, if you took a snapshot of David's life, you'd say, well, that man isn't saved. Well, what about his whole life? God said he was a man after his own heart. You see, the Lord looks on the heart, and we can't. Think of all the time when Samuel, the prophet of God, went down to the house of Jesse. God told him specifically to go down there to anoint a king for Israel. And when he discarded King Saul, you remember how God told him to go down there, and you can read about this in 1 Samuel 16, to anoint my king. Well, Samuel told Jesse to round up all his boys, and he rounded them all up but one. And Samuel looked at the firstborn, big, tall, dark, handsome, and strong. And Samuel said, this must be the man. And God said, no, I've rejected him. And he went through all those boys, and God said, no, I've rejected that one too, and that one too. And what was Samuel's problem? Samuel, your problem is that you're looking on the outward countenance. God looks on the heart. And then in desperation, Samuel asked Jesse, you have any more boys? Yes, I've got one little boy. He's out there in the field tending sheep. You, you wouldn't be interested in him. He's just a little runt. Well, that's the one. Go get him. And David came in, and Samuel took that horn of oil and anointed David as the king of Israel. The Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord 
looketh, looketh on the heart. Indeed, this is what the Lord sets forth in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12. The Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You see, all things are naked and opened under the eyes with whom we have to do. I mean, if you take a snapshot of any of our lives at any given moment in a time of trial, in a time of trouble, you know, when we're having a bad day or or whatever, and you would think, well, he's not saved. Well, who are you? Who am I to conclude that? Are you the Alpha and the Omega? Do you know the beginning from the end? You see, that's what Paul is teaching here. That's the lesson. It's not our business or our place to make that conclusion. Remember that parable of the tares and the wheat? The Lord said, let them grow together. He said, if you try to separate them out, you'll just mess up everything. Let them grow together. The Lord will do the separating of the sheep and the goats in His due time. And you know, some so-called churches have got into this this bad thing of doing that, which is contrary to our Lord's will. Now, I don't know if this happening among any grace churches, but there's a lot of churches that vote people in and vote people out. I mean, they vote them in by this standard, and then they vote them out by that standard. And then later on, if you mess up, well, they'll vote you out and they'll just kick you out. You see, they set themselves up as the standard. I read of one group where they wrote on their website, and this is a a local church to Houston, any member practicing this, and I believe they were talking about what they termed uh, temporary gifts, they shall be subject to immediate dismissal. And so Paul is saying here, there's no need for us to do that. Rather, let's love one another. Let's forgive one another. The Lord will straighten that out. The Lord will discipline. We don't have a, a discipline committee here. We, we just we don't do that. And I've heard of a lot of churches having a discipline committee. Uh, if me- memory serves me, when I went to visit Canada in 2009, um, and this uh, woman's name is not important, but she was keenly interested keenly interested in knowing how it was my home church in Mexico dealt with discipline. (laughs) I guess maybe she wanted to hear some dirt about how something really bad happened. So um, this is what I told her. This is what I learned from my pastor. If we preach the gospel of God's sovereign grace, His undeserved grace given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began, the gospel of grace, not this pseudo-false message of works plus grace. If the gospel of grace is preached, that will produce grace in the hearts of God's people. And it will also purify the church. When you preach Christ and Him crucified, when you preach His blessed person and His finished saving work, that will be used of the Lord to accomplish His will in that local church, and that local assembly. (laughs) I suppose she wanted to hear about how we would call the elders together and uh, I guess the uh, nomenclature is church somebody or give somebody church discipline. 
No, beloved, um, you are either a child of God or you are a bastard, an illegitimate child. Aren't you thankful that because we are his children, he disciplines us, he brings chastisement, he scourges every son and daughter in love, not in wrath, in love, beloved. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's really horrible what can happen in the name of our Lord and local buildings. Uh, I remember hearing about a Reformed Baptist church in Mexico. And this is in, uh, in Merida. And the pastor of that church saw that some of the youth of their church posted some photographs that had open beer bottles on a table. Mind you, no drunkenness, no debauchery, just a photograph of an open beer bottle. And that pastor banned that group of young people from leading in the singing at their church. Uh, I knew of another group in Canada. Now, Sandra and I were not the ones kicked out. But boy, when emotions get in the way, when, when sinful emotions get in the way, uh, it's just terrible. Now, one couple was put under a ban from partaking of the Lord's Supper. I mean, when you get out of line by their standard, or when the elders think, well, that person's out of line, they'll get a committee and they'll be on your doorstep and then they'll try to hoodwink you and harangue you and badger you and tell you, you better straighten up or we'll discipline you. That's what they call it when somebody gets church discipline and then they kick them out. I've seen this happen in the Free Presbyterian Church. Now, not in any grace churches, at least not that I know anything about. And, and indeed, that would be a contradiction of His grace. But before I knew the gospel, um, some of the religion that I have experienced, both in Canada and in Mexico, I mean, man, if you didn't have certain things, you were out. You were kicked out if you didn't meet their standards, just kicked out. Uh, you see, it boils down to this. This is what it boils down to. Does God save sinners by His grace? Or does He save them by works? Does salvation depend on the creature in any way, shape, or form? Or is it entirely from its beginning to the end by our Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ? And as we've just studied here in Romans, Paul writes, If by grace then it is no more of works. You see, you can't have it both ways. It won't mix. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. Now look at verse 7. Romans 14. Verse 7. The apostle, continuing, writes, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Now, the Apostle is speaking here about believers. None of us live unto himself. The just live by faith. You see, saving faith is always taking up with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's looking to him, the author and finisher of our faith. None of us live to himself. We live under the Lord, and no man dies to himself. Remember, beloved, we are members one of another, in one body with one head. As we studied in Romans chapter 12, verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. And so no believer is an island in of himself. 
Rather, he is put in the body of Christ to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do so, beloved, by serving one another. You see, that's how we serve the Lord. It's by serving one another. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God's Word declares our motivation in verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, just there in the beginning part of that verse. For the love of Christ constraineth us. That's what motivates the believer. You see, my friend, it's not the whip of the law. It's not the promise of reward. That's not what motivates the believer to obedience and living as unto the Lord. Well, pastor, if it's not those things, what is it? Beloved, it's for the love of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, we read, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, and that word all there speaks of all his elect, that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You see, my friend, there's no stronger motive than love, especially in the heart of a believer. Um, take, for example, what we would call natural love, like, say, the, the love a mother has for her baby. How many times does mom change dirty diapers in the middle of the night when the baby is screaming? I mean, why does she get up and do that? What motivates her to do that? Duty? Because, you know, she has to do it? No, it's because she loves that child. It was God's gift to her. And, beloved, that's what motivates his people. The love of Christ constrains us in that love that God sheds abroad in the hearts of his people by the Holy Spirit. And so whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We're the Lord's by his choice or the Lord by his grace. And we live by the Lord's sovereign grace. And we die in faith by the Lord keeping us by his power. We are the Lord's through and through, beloved. We're his purchased possession. We are bought with his blood. And, beloved, it is our delight to walk by faith, to live by faith, and not by sight. The apostle said this, If we are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Indeed, God forbid I should glory save in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, every believer is chosen in that eternal covenant of grace. Every believer is redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, and every believer is effectually called out of darkness into God's marvelous light that we should show forth the praises of Him who called us. Every believer has been made a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer is preserved by the power of God. Every believer is kept from falling by His undeserved grace given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, consider all those different things I just mentioned. What does any of that have to do with eating, drinking, and observing certain days? 
Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Beloved, aren't you glad that God saves us by His grace and sets us at liberty to serve Him? And to what purpose is that? To this purpose, beloved. Christ both died and rose again that He might be Lord of the dead and the living. My friend, He's not Lord by something we do. He's every man's Lord by the decree of God. Remember what Peter preached at Pentecost? This same Jesus whom you crucified, God had made him both Lord and Christ. You see, he's not Lord by something we do. People in religion say, well, make Jesus your Lord. My friend, our Heavenly Father already beat you to it. You see, in eternity, the Father decreed his Son to be the Lord God, and he hath made him Lord, and so we bow to his Lordship. And that's by His grace, God making us willing in the day of His power. I want to know when is that day of power going to come? Well, that's not according to our calendar. <laughs> it's according to God's calendar, and it's a never-ending day when it comes. And the Apostle declares there in Galatians chapter 1 if we were to ask the Apostle Paul for his testimony how is it that he was saved I think we can safely cite this verse I love reading this he says in Galatians chapter 1 Verse 15. So, Paul, uh, when were you saved? (laughs) When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. And I love that part there in verse 16. He does not merely say something. In fact, emphatically, he does not say to reveal His Son to me. But ever so blessedly, he writes there to reveal His Son to me. In me, Christ in you, the hope of glory, beloved. We read in Romans chapter 14, and we'll conclude our study here in that verse. Romans chapter 14, verse 9. And so, beloved, Whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Amen.